0: Heavenly Father, thank you for this letter. Thank you, God, that you've given us your word. As we read in Timothy this week, your word that is your very breath, that is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And God, right in this moment, Lord, we just want to declare that we need that. Lord, we need, once again, as we always need, you to continue to reveal by your word and your spirit and illuminate these words into our lives. And God, right now in this moment, I pray, Lord, all of us come here with distractions, with things on our minds. I ask, God, right now by your spirit that you would give us a focus. I pray, Lord, for me that you would guard my mouth against saying anything not from you and that we would have this focus and engagement with your word. May we continue to be changed by your word. As Whitney highlighted, that we would not merely listen to it, that we would do what it says. Show us what to do, God. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So we are continuing our series through the Bible in the full story. We are making our way through the New Testament. And today we are in a small little book called Philemon. It's a little letter that Paul writes from jail uh, to the church in Colossae. It is connected oftentimes with the church uh, in Colossians and related to a similar crowd that he's writing to. And in this letter, as we look at this letter, the question that I ask you to consider today as we read this question is this. As we read this book is this. Who is Onesimus? Who is Onesimus? If you get into the commentaries, there's a lot of questions. Not so much about his name, but about his circumstance. We're wondering, who is Onesimus in this book? And I believe this question relates not just to understanding this letter, but also it relates to many of us in circumstances that we face today. In this letter, if you were to ask Philemon who Onesimus is, he would probably tell you before this letter that Onesimus is my offender. He is my offender. We learn in verse 18, as Paul is writing to Philemon, he says this, if he has wronged you at all, there seems to have been something, we don't know what, that Onesimus has done. And we learn in the text that Onesimus was a slave of Philemon's. There's a lot of debate of whether he is a runaway slave. That is the common understanding of what happened. He had done something and ran away from Philemon. Some would say he is an escaped slave. Some wonder if maybe he was in hiding. And and there's a bunch of questions about this, but it seems very apparent that we can have all sorts of conjecture about who Onesimus is and what his circumstance is, but the text I believe is telling us that Onesimus is Philemon's offender. Philemon has this view of Onesimus. There seems to be something going on that would be cause for Paul to write to Philemon with the purpose of reconciliation. And for many of us, Maybe right now, as you think about this letter and think about what it means for you, perhaps there's someone who you would say is my offender. Someone who you have some relational odds with. Or maybe you have offended them. I believe that there's some helpful truths to you and me in this letter. Now we can look at this and have some judgments about Philemon, but it's important to also understand who Philemon is in this book. We learn that Philemon is a very personal and close friend of Paul, and it seems to be that his family has this relationship with Paul. In verses one and two, Paul's writing, he says to Philemon, he says, our beloved fellow worker. And Aphia, our sister. Many commentators believe he's talking about Philemon's wife in this circumstance. And Archippus, our fellow soldier. Some would say, and I, I, I tend to like this idea, that Archippus is quite possibly a son, a child. This is, he's writing to Philemon and his family. Once again, there has to be some conjecture there. Paul does not tell us, but there seems to be this personal relationship in Archippus that says, our fellow soldier. This reminds me of as a, as a kid who used to sing this song, I may never march in the infantry, riding. in, you ever m- remember this song? I kind of vision, maybe this is just me because it feels really cute and really, that Paul's like riding to little Archippus and saying, yeah, you are fellow soldier here. Whatever it may be, it seems that Paul is writing to Philemon and his house, his household. It's a very private letter, yet it's also public. It's meant for the church to read together as we learn from Paul's interaction with Philemon with regards to this reconciliation. And he's writing to Philemon, and he's also saying, and the church in your house. So it seems to be that Philemon met Paul at some point. Time came to know Christ and became a leader in the church and was hosting a gathering of worship of church in his own home. And so Paul is writing to Philemon, who is a leader in some regard of the church. And this is unique. We learn in the book of Colossians that many had not even met Paul yet. Paul wrote, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you as he's writing to the church and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So it seems to be that Paul is writing from a authority of a relationship with Philemon. He knows him and his household personally. And he's writing to him about Philemon's perspective on Onesimus his offender. And Paul, as we ask this question, who is Onesimus? Who is he? Is he a runaway slave? Has he done something? Is he an offender? Is he escaped? As there's this encounter that is inevitably going to happen between Philemon and Onesimus when they come together, What's that encounter going to be like? And Paul makes this radical, upside down, culture challenging statement. And he's telling Philemon, Philemon, Onesimus is not your offender. Hear this he's your partner. He's our partner. He's our partner. This word partner is debated throughout. There's this word in verse six that I believe is really like the key point to this passage. And Paul in this prayer is writing to Philemon. He says this, look at verse six here. He says, I pray that the sharing of your faith, I would, if you have your own Bibles, I would encourage you to circle that, highlight that word sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now, now this word sometimes is hard to understand. Remember, we're reading an English translation that was originally written in Greek. And so sometimes these words don't translate perfectly. And so this word, sharing, is this deep, beautiful word. If you remember in Acts chapter 2, when it talks about the early church and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, that word fellowship is the same word used here for the sharing of your faith. The NIV translation of this verse says this, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. And this seems to be foundational. This word here that Paul has is koinonia. And it's related to this fellowship, this participation in the church. This mutual sharing that has changed things. And Paul is using this as a foundational argument to his conviction that as we ask the question, who is Onesimus? He's saying he's he's not just your partner, Paul, he's our partner. And this relates to the appeal. And I love the way that Paul writes this letter. This is just a little side track. When Paul was writing this letter, he could have said, Philemon, I am Paul, I am an apostle. God has spoken to me, do what I say. He could have used the authority given to him, but how does he speak to Philemon? He he comes from a place of prison. It's the only time when he refers to himself as a prisoner in chains he comes from a place of weakness and persuasion and as he's talking to Philemon in this letter he says this and this is so radical to this time he says this in verse 15 no He says, perhaps, I'm going to read the NIV. I think it reads a little better. He says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. The language here for have him back is like welcome, receive. Now hear this, though. Look at what Paul says. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave. As a dear brother, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul is writing in this context. And in this context, he's telling Philemon, you need to treat him as a brother. Now there's a whole bunch of debate or concern with this text where we we just wish in this case that Paul would have just said and abolished slavery in this moment. We just wish he would have said slavery is sinful. Be gone with it. We believe this to be true. We believe knowing from the creation account before sin, that all men, all women are created in the image of God. This is incredibly paramount to how we view and interact with one another. And we know from other places in scripture that Paul had this theological conviction. But as he's writing to Philemon, he's also writing with this gentleness and this patience In God's work. And it seems to me if you look at, you talk to historians and commentators and scholars, although Paul in this moment is not abolishing slavery, he is setting up the theological framework for the church to recognize that slavery is this sinful, horrible thing. And it is through the writings, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the church has has become sanctified and continued to grow in this understanding and to see the sin of slavery. We see in Colossians chapter 3 of the same letter these theological convictions from Paul as he writes to the church. He says, Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You once were a certain way. He says, here in the church, in this partnership that we're in, there is not Greek and Jew. He's talking about ethnicity. He says there's not circumcised and uncircumcised. He's talking about the, 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 the religious people that grew up, the Jew and the, uh, the, the new Christian not barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. He's making this declaration to Philemon and to us as the church, that we are called to this beautiful partnership. I love this idea here. We had our classes meeting yesterday where we, all the churches from our denomination gather and one of the devotions I thought was really profound, the uh, pastor's name is Ryan Hall from Tulare was talking about this idea and he was talking about this covenantal idea. And he talked about the statement that blood is thicker than water, have you heard this? And he said actually in the church, our views of the sacrament of baptism, as a church we believe that Water is thicker than blood. We believe that there's something incredibly powerful and sacred in the covenant of the church family. That there is this relationship between church family where a Pharisee like Paul, slave, rich, elite, slave owner, rich and elite like Philemon and his, Slave like Onesimus have this koinonia together. And there is no level. They are all on level ground at the cross. We see this beautiful question here. And as we read this, and as we think about this, I I think it's important that we see that Paul is asking Philemon, who is Onesimus? And I think he's also asking you and me today, who is Onesimus? Or maybe more importantly, who is your Onesimus? Who is your Onesimus? We believe these things to be true. We confess these truths, yet oftentimes there are brothers and sisters in Christ who we are at odds with. In our very own families, there's been some arguments politically, socially, and maybe as you think about Thanksgiving coming up, maybe that is not the most warm and fuzzy feeling that you would normally think about. And here I believe Paul is writing to the church and saying, we are all one in Christ. There's this koinonia, this partnership together. And I I think I put in your notes, to think about this, who is your Onesimus? I think it's important that we write down possibly a name, a person, something that I feel at odds with, another believer or someone that maybe, by God's word, he's speaking to you today and saying, you must be reconciled. I don't know he's necessarily saying you need to like that person, maybe. But there needs to be this wonderful relationship of the gospel because water is thicker than blood. And as we wrestle with this question, who is Onesimus? Who is my Onesimus? Who is it that I am at odds with? Who must I make amends with? The question may come, okay, Logan, I get that, how? How do we welcome Onesimus? I mean, picture this story. Philemon's getting this letter and he's wondering, and we know that Onesimus is going to come here, and the question is, how's this going to happen? It's one thing in my mind to know that I had these people that have offended me or that I've offended and there's these, these walls between us. How do I make things right? How do I reconcile? And for some of us, as we think about this question, we recognize that some of these offenses are not little offenses like that person sat in my spot in church. I know for some of us that's a really big deal. Or that person scratched my car, it may be that person hurt me deeply. They said some things about me. They posted some things on social media that I have very strong convictions in the opposite direction. They've gossiped and slandered my name. In this point here, I believe as we read this, the problem is, is I want to put myself in Philemon's shoes. Church, in this story, I don't think we're in Philemon's shoes. There's this partnership that's happening that seems to me there's this gospel truth that's incredibly important for you and me. As we ask this question, this is the gospel truth, is we are meant to be in Onesimus' shoes. The gospel says this. The gospel says that Onesimus is us. Onesimus is us. I'm not Philemon in this story. Now, I have some people that I probably need to make amends with, and I don't think we're off the hook there, but the gospel tells us that I am the slave. I am the one who has offended the almighty God who has sinned against him. I am the prodigal son. And there's this moment Paul writes about this in the book of Galatians. Kind of hopping around slides, good luck. In the book of Galatians chapter four, I'd like you to turn with me there. He writes about this truth that Onesimus is us. I want you to read this with me. And as you read this and as we think about this question, who is Onesimus, look at the beauty that Paul guides us in. He says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, uh, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter four, verse four. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem, buy back, those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, child. And since you, are not, since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Do you not see? Yes, we are Onesimus, but in the same way that Paul is telling Philemon to welcome Onesimus back, the purpose, the gospel says the reason why you do that is because you have been welcomed back. This is the beauty I believe this is why Paul time and time again in verse one, verse nine, verse 20, 10, verse 20, 20, verse 23 writes not from authority but from weakness. Why he constantly is telling Philemon because he knows I was once a slave and I was brought back and he's writing in jail in victory as an heir. One of the challenges, I think, the first problem as we look at this, I think Paul really deals with this in Colossians chapter 3, is that when we understand this truth that Onesimus is us, the first problem here is that we forget who we are. We forget the truth of the gospel that says you are no longer a slave. You are not. Sin has no rule over you, Christ has paid it all and this is the gospel truth it seems to me that this is paramount to this letter and a lot of commentators will say well why is there no gospel in this letter paul never writes about the crucifixion or the resurrection It seems to me that his justification, the truth of the gospel, informs this reconciliation. That what he has experienced from Christ has called him and caused him to demonstrate the gospel in the way that he writes to Philemon. Look at what he says in verse 17. He says, so if you consider me your partner, that's that word again, koinonia, your fellowship, your partner, we're we're in this together. He says, receive him, Philemon, as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Do you not see the gospel? Do you not see what Christ writing with his own hand? I will repay it. And the response of us is hallelujah. I will do the same. This is the beauty of this truth here. And as we think about who my offender may be, who is Onesimus, it seems to me that the gospel truth must start with this reality that Onesimus is us. As we've been saying, the kingdom of God is the reign of the king in the realm of the zeros. A whole bunch of Onesimuses who have been changed from slaves to heirs, children of God. It seems to me that we have this gospel truth, but we also have a gospel response, church. We also have a gospel response. The power of the gospel does something in us. I think in verse 21 here, Paul references this. He says, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. He's saying, I believe in the gospel so much, I'm calling you to welcome Onesimus as a brother. I believe you, church, will do even more than I can say. And so it seems to me here that the gospel response is this understanding of this hospitable harmony. Hospitable harmony. Double H. Hospitable harmony. There's something in the church the body of Christ that has this hospitality about us and this harmony where we are all different. We still have distinct personalities. I believe as image bearers, we are not meant to all look, act, talk the same way because our God is so powerful and so beautiful and so wonderful. We better reflect his image with our distinctiveness. Yet, yet, There's a harmony that the gospel does in us. And Paul writes about this in Romans. If you could, we've referenced this almost every Sunday in some way as we open up the service. He says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you, church, may with one voice, look at all the harmony and the beautiful just unity here, glorify that God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, in light of this, what's the gospel response? Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God, church. In in the body of Christ, if we believe the gospel to be true, we must be a people of hospitable gospel. They continue to say, Christ has welcomed me, therefore I will welcome all. I will have this about the way that I live, the way that we live together. And as you think about this, as you reflect on this, I'm reminded just last week of this truth, that there seems to be this call to harmony together that only happens in Christ. Just last week, I I preached probably one of my hardest sermons of a text that was really difficult. And I remember at the end of the message feeling Like, maybe some people don't really like me right now. I really hope I got this right. And in God's providence, at the end of the message, we got to do something together. We got to have communion. Communion is this beautiful feast that the church has together, and I remember vividly sitting there kind of feeling a little bit weird as a pastor and then literally saying, this is the body of Christ broken for you, take and eat. This is the blood of Christ shed for you, take and drink. And feeling the gospel and the welcome of what Christ has done for me just overshadowing, and overwhelming with His grace, that difficultness. I pray that we would continue to be a people that have that mentality. We live in a world that is so polarized. We live in a world where oftentimes people will tell you, you can't even be in the same room as people that have different opinions. It seems to me Paul here in Philemon is telling us, the church, that we are called to have this partnership and togetherness and to have these kind of conversations. So I challenge you this morning, as you think about this, to continue to be a people that live this out, that recognize I am Onesimus in the story and therefore I will welcome others as Christ has welcomed me. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful little letter from Paul to Philemon. God, I ask that you would speak to each of us in this moment. Lord, we believe that your word is for us. And God, I just imagine that many of us in the room here may feel at odds with someone in our life, may feel at odds with another brother or sister in Christ. I ask, God, that you would bring about that reconciliation that you've called us to. I ask, God, for some of us, we may feel at odds with you we may feel like Onesimus may have felt. Beaten up, worn out, tired of struggling with the sin or the mistakes or or the things of my past or my my struggles or or my depression or, or, or my loneliness, Lord. And God, I just pray right now in this moment that you would speak into that space your beautiful gospel Jesus that you Holy Spirit would make yourself known that you would say I welcome you come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest that you would remind us that the gospel story is not of a prodigal son who returns and becomes a slave, but of a son who returns and the Lord throws a party. Oh God, would your gospel continue to invade our lives, to strengthen our hearts, to unify your church, and to spur us on towards love and good works, because you are the one who holds us fast. And I pray, Lord, that you would have your way on this Lord's day. Pray, Lord, at any sort of bonds that we feel we are shackled to, that we would be able to, as we sing this next song, we would be able to sing in faith, I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we sing those songs, we would know that that is a reality for all who believe in the name of Jesus, for all who join Jacob and Grayson and these members up here in confessing Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my Savior, that we would believe those words to be true, that we would be united in those words. So have your way spirit in this time as we respond in worship to your word. In your name we pray. Amen.